chapter 13. We did it. We've made it through the entire book of Nehemiah. Congratulations. I really hope that you read through the book and, and you caught up and you stayed up with us because what an incredible journey, story of leadership, of faith, partnership with God, of assignments being fulfilled and completed and dreams coming true. Well, that's, that's the first 12 chapters anyway. Because that's how chapter 12 ends. Everything's on a high note. They're committing to all these incredible things. Just we're here. We're, we're walking with God. We're, we're not going to turn back. And then chapter 13. Things go off the rails just a little bit in this last chapter. See, if, if Nehemiah would have ended in chapter 12, this would be a happily ever after story. We could look to Nehemiah and be like, man, they started literally in the ruins. The city was in ruins. And at the end, the city is rebuilt. The people are rejoicing. They've rededicated themselves to God. God is doing incredible things. Happily ever after, on to the next book. But chapter 13 happens. And I believe that God has something very significant for us today in chapter 13. So Nehemiah, at the end of chapter 12, he goes back to Babylon. He goes back to his position because he was asked for a release from the king. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, and he asked for a release to go for, to fulfill the assignment to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So he goes back to King Artaxerxes. I've practiced that several times. And after a time of being there, he requested leave of the king again to go back and to check on Jerusalem and to check on his fellow countrymen to see how everything was going. As he returns, he finds that things are not as he had left them. The people had begun to compromise. You know, in the beginning, a compromise, it doesn't seem like it's really that big of a deal. It might just be something small, something tiny, like, like you know, like it's like... It's like 1% compromise, just, just 1%. But 1% compromise, you know, if I, even as I say it, I mean, you know what? If I've, if I've got $100 and I lose one, I still got 99. I mean, it's not, it's not that big a deal, right? But this is what a 1% compromise would look like in everyday life. You would have no phone service for 15 minutes every day. 1.7 million pieces of mail would be lost Every day, 35,000 newborn babies would be dropped by doctors and nurses every year. Like, that's shocking. 200,000 people would get the wrong drug prescriptions every year, which could be fatal. Every one of us would have unsafe drinking water for three days a year. There would be three misspelled words on every page. For me, that's an upgrade. Like, I'm, I'm okay with that. If I only had three on every page, it's a good day. And 2 million people would die from food poisoning each year. That's just simply 1% compromise on standards. See, a small compromise is still a compromise and leads to greater compromise each and every time. And when we look at the book of Nehemiah in chapter 13, you can open up your Bibles there. There's four specific compromises that Nehemiah finds when he returns to Jerusalem, we're going to go through these kind of fast. Compromise number one is in, is in verses four and five. Eliashib the priest had prepared for Tobiah a large room or chamber where previously they had put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the, in, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil. So here we have Tobiah. This is the enemy. This is like Nehemiah's arch nemesis. He opposed the rebuilding of the wall from the very beginning. 
This enemy was given a room to live in inside the house and temple of God. This is the same guy that threatened violence against all the people as they were rebuilding the wall. So they had to rebuild the wall with a shield and a a sword in one hand and rebuild one-handed. This is the same guy that intentionally discouraged the people in their assignment. He talked about how flimsy the wall was, that if even a fox walked across it, the whole thing would fall down. This is the same guy that tried to kill Nehemiah. This guy is now living in the house of God. And to top it all off, which I don't think we ever really touched on, Tobiah is not even Jewish. He's not an Israelite. He's a foreigner, and he should never even be allowed to step foot in the house of God. Compromise. Compromise number two is found in verse 10. Nehemiah says, I also discovered that the portions due to the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did work had gone away, each back to his own field. What this is, is mismanagement of the resources of God. See, it's not that the people stopped bringing the tithes into the house of God, but it was those who were in charge to distribute the tithes to those who worked in the temple, the Levites, the priests, and the singers. They stopped distributing those finances and those resources to those who worked in the temple. See, it was the job of the Levites to work the temple as priests, to to work and, and to offer up sacrifices to singers, to offer up worship continually to God. They were not to be in the fields and the vineyards providing for themselves, but once they stopped receiving their portion for the work that they were doing, they had to go back to the fields and to their vineyards simply so they could feed themselves and their families. Compromise number three. In verse 15 it says, In those days I saw some in Judah who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves or sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys, as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of other loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. See, the Sabbath was a holy day. It was holy to the Israelites. No work was to be done on Sabbath. This was rest-only day. In the beginning, in Genesis, it says that God created for six days, and then on the seventh day He rested, and then He gave that same instruction to his people. You work six days, you rest on the seventh day. It was so important to God that they did this that he put it into the Ten Commandments to obey the Sabbath. And this was one of the hallmark parts of their life and their relationship, their walk and following the Lord. And here they have people bringing goods into the city to sell. They set up in the marketplace. They're harvesting They're working. Compromise number four, verses 23 and 24. It says, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoken the language of Ashdod, and none of them knew how to speak the Hebrew language of Judah, but only the language of his own people. They were intermarrying with the nations around them, and the children of these intermarriages were not even learning the Hebrew culture, language, religion. See, when the Israelites first came into the promised land after they had left Egypt and they stepped into the promised land, they were told by God, do not marry into the cultures of the nations around you or the nations that you were about to to displace from from the, the, the promised land. If you do, you will begin to serve their gods and you will begin to do those things that they were doing. 
This is one of the major reasons for the downfall of, of Israel and for their ultimate exile from the promised land. It links back even to Solomon. Solomon started this. King Solomon, who followed David, started marrying into the cultures and the, and the countries and the people around Israel. And it caused them to be exiled from the land. And here they are now, finally getting back to the land. The temple had been rebuilt. The city had been rebuilt. And they're going back to all the same things that caused them to stumble in the very first place. Nehemiah loses his mind. He absolutely freaks out. He sees how, how they've compromised, and this is what he does. He goes into the house of God. I can, and I can just picture it. it does, you kind of have to read through the lines because it doesn't necessarily say this. But I can picture Nehemiah walking into the house of God. He kicks open the door where all Tobias' stuff is. He, grab, listen, he grabs all of this guy's stuff and he throws it out onto the street. He just takes all of his stuff and he throws it on the street. And then he moves on. And then he begins to rebuke all of the officials for not giving the portion to the Levites and to the priests. For mismanaging the finances. And then he replaces all of those who were supposed to be in charge with distributing those resources. And he puts new, new ones in. And he calls them, these are faithful people, it says, that he put in charge of this. Faithful and reliable. And then he brought the Levites and the singers back. And he put them back in place, caring for the temple, serving God, lifting up worship again. And then he rebukes all the people for violating the Sabbath. Telling them that they were bringing down the wrath of God upon their city. They were responsible just as their fathers had done before. Then, at the beginning of Sabbath, he locks all the gates of the city and lets nobody in or nobody out. They're on lockdown. I mean, this might be the original lockdown, where he's like, no, no one in and no one out. Everybody, sit down and rest. He's making them all rest. And he's, he gets up on the wall, and he looks down. And in front of all the gates, he sees merchants and people who, they, you know what? They're like, fine, you won't let me in. I'm going to sleep here with all my stuff. So I'm the first one in the city in the morning. From the top of the wall, Nehemiah goes, hey, you guys down there, you need to leave. If I ever catch you here again, I, I promise you violence on your life. And see, he's, he's raining down threats from the top of the wall, telling them he, that he will do violent things to them if he ever catches them back here again. Don't you let me catch you here again. Finally, and this is where he completely loses all control. To those that had intermarried, he begins to curse them. He begins to slap them in the face. And he begins to pull out their hair. I don't know if you're picturing this. Like, we're not talking about a small amount of people. I just picture Nehemiah running through the streets and slapping people in the face and calling the curses of God down upon them and grabbing people by their beard and literally pulling their beard out. I don't know, you know, you don't understand this, ladies, but like, to have your beard pulled, it really hurts. And like, I feel like having your beard pulled out probably hurts more than someone grabbing a fistful of hair and, and yanking on it. You know, but here's Nehemiah slapping them, cursing them, pulling their hair out. And then he makes them promise that they will stop intermarrying with all the nations around them before he, he lets up. Then, out of the corner of his eye, he sees the son-in-law of Sanballat. Okay, Sanballat is like partner in crime to Tobiah. Original nemesis of Nehemiah was against them at all, at, at, at every point, and opposed the rebuilding of the wall. He sees this guy's son-in-law walking through the streets. Nehemiah just starts chasing him through the city. It just says it doesn't even say what happened. He just starts chasing him. Nehemiah has lost all control. 
How did they end up here? Have you ever stopped in your life and looked around and been like, how did I get here? What happened? Things were going so well. Now, what? when did things go so wrong? Compromise. Even that 1%. I, I don't believe that anyone sets out to purposefully compromise their walk with Jesus or their integrity or their character. But man, something comes up and it appeals to our flesh or it appeals to our ego. It's an opportunity for us to get ahead. Just escape some repercussions of life, something that maybe we did wrong. And we justify it by saying, well, it's not that big a deal. Maybe we justify it by saying, eh, who's going to find out? No one's going to find out. I get to the job site, 7 o'clock, I'm supposed to start working. I'm the only one here. I think I'm just going to sit down and going to finish my cup of coffee. 7.30 now, still nobody here. Who's watching, right? It's that small little bit of integrity, character. See, compromise comes not when we're strong, not when we're, we're fully rested, we're ready to go, we can take on the world. Compromise comes when we are tired. We're tired physically, we're tired emotionally, we're tired spiritually, because compromise is opportunistic. It sees when we're weak and then it presents itself. And it shows us an opportunity to get ahead by taking shortcuts. Compromise always takes the path of least resistance. And looks to escape that correction and that discipline for things that maybe we did wrong. Compromise is self-seeking and self-gratifying. And it looks to satisfy the, the desires of your flesh, the natural desires, in ways that God never intended them to be satisfied. So it's outside of God. It's outside of His will. I once, when I was, you know, 27 to almost 30, I worked as a production manager of a small mattress manufacturing company. This was one of the most high-stress jobs that I had ever had. And it was a small company, and it was family-owned, and there were two brothers that owned it. And they were very, very hands-on. Um, they were in the plant every day. They were overseeing everything, even though I managed the entire manufacturing process and all the employees, they were, were scrutinizing every staff decision, every purchase order, every timesheet, every production goal. It, like They were just on it. And if they had questions, oh, and they had questions, like literally six, seven times a day, this is what I would hear. And I, I'm, this is by memory. I'm not making this up. Craig, call 226. And if I was busy, I was handling a situation or I was in the middle of something, three minutes later, a much more aggravated voice would come on. And this is for the entire company to hear. Craig, call 226. And it would just get louder and more intense and more aggravated until I made my way to the phone and I said, hello. And then inevitably, I would, begun, I, I would be berated. I would be questioned. I, you know, like I did something wrong or, or you know, and sometimes I, I deserved it. There were things that, that, you know, we didn't meet a goal or, or something had happened, you know. But then there were, there were times when, like, the internet went out one morning. What, what am I supposed to do when the internet goes out? This is like, we're barely above dial-up internet at this, at this time. I know, Stone Age, right? But the internet goes out, and so we're not getting any faxes. He comes in, and he loses his mind because we're not getting faxes. Why is that important? Nobody faxes anymore except for the government. 
But back in the day, that's how they received purchase, purchase orders. And I should have, at like 6 o'clock in the morning, found out a way to fix the fax machine and the internet. I'm, you know, so inevitably, whether I deserved it or not, that's what I would get. And that number, 226, burned in my brain. I can't ever get it out. I was not surprised, it wouldn't surprise me if Renee said one morning, you woke up in the middle of the night screaming, Craig, call 226. <laughs> one day, at the end of the day, all the production staff had gone home, and I was walking through the plant, and I was just checking on everything. Um, and I noticed by our numbers, we'd missed our production goal by three units, three, three mattresses. That, that was it. And so I, I walk out to the production floor, and once they're made, they go onto this big conveyor belt, and it all goes towards the bagging machine where when you buy your mattress, it comes in this nice bag. Um, and the, the, the conveyor belt of completed pieces was packed. It was like eight feet tall, and it was like 20 feet long of like completed pieces. And I'm like, we were so close. And I, I, I just had had enough. I was tired, and I just couldn't take another you know, another phone call, another fight. Um, and so I walked to the end of the line and I grabbed the, the scanner because every mattress has a, has a barcode on it. And I just scanned it. When you scan it, it marks it as completed in the, in the computer system. Beep, beep, beep. The stickers popped out and I put, this, I put the scanner down and I, and I walked away and I'm like, there, we met our production goals. I mean, I fought so often with the, with, with, with the owner. He actually gave me... Um, he reached into his pocket one day, and I think he pulled out a $100 bill, and he goes, hey, we've been fighting, fighting a lot. It's, you're a worthy opponent. Here, take your wife out for dinner. No joke. He gave me 100 bucks because I was a worthy fighting opponent. It was horrible. Anyway, the next day, <laughs> the next day I got to the office, um, and I heard, I heard the Craig called 226. I picked up the phone. He said, hey, can you come to my office? I, came, I went up to his office, and I sat down, and he, uh, he, he found out what I did. And he looks at me and he goes, Craig, I'm really disappointed. I expected better from you. And I sat there and I was just, Holy Spirit hit me. I was so convicted. It wasn't so much of what he said to me, but what Holy Spirit was saying to me. I looked at him and I said, I am, I am so sorry. That will never happen again. I left his office uh, and I repented. I said, Jesus, I, I repent I was wrong because what I did was I lied and I compromised my character and my integrity. And Holy Spirit was speaking to me and I said, I, Holy Spirit, give me the strength to never do anything like that again, that no matter what, I will always do what is right and it doesn't matter who is watching or if nobody is watching. See, my response to that compromise was internal. It was an internal conviction of Holy Spirit that brought about real internal change and transformation. When we look back to what Nehemiah did, Nehemiah's response was rooted in the natural. You see, he was an external force trying to bring about internal change. He was trying to change them and transform them on the inside by all of these external things. Compromise happens when you try to live in your own strength. This is what I believe God is saying to us today from Nehemiah chapter 13. Listen, and we've talked a lot about compromise so far, so we're going to take a sharp corner. And it's not, it's not the specific lessons on compromise, although that's important. We need to understand that. We need to be aware and need to know when we are vulnerable to compromise. 
but I don't believe that that's what God has for us today. And it's not about the lessons, about the specific compromises, or we could, we could dig into those. There's so much there, but that's not what God is saying to us today. I believe what God is saying to us today, Crosspoint family, is this. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. I want you to say that with me. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. That is from Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. And it's a prophetic word that God gave to Zechariah. And it was actually concerning the rebuilding of the temple that we've touched on a little bit from the book of Ezra. That, that Ezra happened and then Nehemiah happened. True change doesn't happen by the will and the plans of people. It happens by the Spirit of God. There is no doubt that with Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and all that he did, that he was partnering with God. That there was, it, it took 52 days. This was a miraculous supernatural construction project. 52 days to rebuild the walls. Even the enemies of Nehemiah looked and they said, clearly, God is working with them. They were working and partnering with God. The real true change was never supposed to be external. See, the true temple of God was never meant to be a physical building, a physical place. See, what they were looking at that was built with stones and wood was a symbol of what was to come. And what was to come was Holy Spirit living each, inside each and every follower and believer in Jesus Christ. The rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem was never going to bring about transformation to the people. That's what Nehemiah wanted. He wanted this great thing to take place and all the people would be like, yes, we are now committed to God. And it lasted but like a minute. We can change things here at Crosspoint. We can renovate our building. We can make changes to our building. We can change the way that we do ministry. We can change ministry names. We can change our leadership style. We can change our leadership team. We can, we have, and we will do all of those things and a lot more of those things. But without a move of the Holy Spirit, we will never see true transformation. See, that's what frustrated Nehemiah. That's why he freaked out and lost his marbles. See, all that change that took place on the outside and the people were still exactly the same on the inside. See, because you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. And that's what Nehemiah did. And so he was so disappointed and upset and frustrated that he was still looking at a pig. God's focus is internal transformation. The external stuff, it's not, it's, it's important it's just not as important as what we think that it is. What matters most is lives changed by the power of Jesus, saved, healed, and delivered. God is going to build this church. God is going to build Crosspoint, and we will partner with him on our own. If we choose to not follow his steps and not follow his leading and not contend for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our own, this is what you can expect. You can expect a nice church. You can expect a friendly church. You can expect a celebratory atmosphere. Lots of great things that are happening. You can expect entertaining messages. That's what you can expect. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want any of that. That's not what I want. Just a nice church, a good experience. We show up on Sunday, it was like, wow. That was nice. That message, I'm going to remember that. I laughed, you know, when they said he put lipstick on a pig. That was great. That's probably the only thing that I'll remember. You know, Monday morning, I'm going to go and I'm going to say, hey, at my church, my pastor talked about you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. It was so funny. You know, and you're going to remember the story about the mattress, you know, manufacturing, you know, character compromise. And, and then you would remember this fun fact that I'll, that I'll share with you right now that's a little gross that I learned from the mattress manufacturing industry. If you own the same mattress for 20 years, it doubles in weight. That's really gross. All right, amen, nice church. Right? That, like, on our own, that's, that's what we can expect. I'm not interested. I wanna partner with Jesus as he builds this church. And this church will be built on this revelation because this is what Jesus said the revelation is. The rock is how he will build his church. It is on the power of him and his spirit. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Peter answers the question of all questions that Jesus asked. He says, who do people say that I am? And then Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, I say to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church in the gates of Hades or death. They will not overpower it. Jesus was not saying that the church will be built on Peter, but on Peter's revelation that he had, that Peter received that Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is literally God. Jesus is the chain breaker. He's the miracle maker. He's the soul saver. He's the body healer and life transformer. This is the foundation that this church, Crosspoint, will be built upon. And Jesus is building his church. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Jesus in John chapter 16 and verse 7, he says this, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, Counselor, strengthener will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. Listen, when Jesus says it's better, it's to your advantage, it's beneficial that he goes away, then we best pay attention to the reason why he said it's beneficial. These, okay, like we hear that and we're like, oh yeah, 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 that, that's great. He's talking to the guys that lived in, they, they breathed with him, they, they, they slept together, they walked together, they ate together, they, three years. And what did they see? Bodies saved, the dead raised, lepers cleansed, demons you know, cast out. He, Jesus would speak to storms and it would stop. Jesus walked on the water. He, like, he did all of these incredible things. And now that same guy, Jesus is telling them, it's better that I go away. Could you imagine how their minds are like, how is this better? This has got to be the best. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the only reason why it was better for Jesus to go. Because if, here, this is it. With Jesus with them, he was, he was limited to the physical body that he had. He was one, one, one person, God, but in one place. 
when he left, Holy Spirit came, and now it's not God in one place, it's God in all of us. God in me, God in you, right? This, this, is, this is the hope of glory. Jesus said, for when I go, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and he's going to live in each and every one of you. When Holy Spirit comes, everything changes. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is Jesus, the final words of Jesus to his disciples. And then Holy Spirit came upon them. Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, it says this. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were being distributed among them. And they rested on each one of them as each person received the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled, that is, diffused throughout their being with the Holy Spirit and began to speak out in other tongues and different languages as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak. This happens in, in, an, in an upper room of a, of a building. And then they spill out of the upper room, literally spill out of the upper room. Peter stands up. The same guy who not that long ago denied Jesus to a servant girl, stands up in front of a crowd and he preaches Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected and 3,000 people come into the kingdom. They give their lives to Jesus. And from that moment on, this is what we see, not just through Jesus, but through the disciples and through the apostles and, and through as, as it spreads and spreads, all of the believers, salvations, signs, wonders, miracles, and healings through the power of the Spirit because they were filled with the very Spirit of God, and it changed everything. They were transformed. True, real, lasting change and transformation. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my Spirit, says God. Because Holy Spirit changes everything. And this is what Nehemiah was missing. Internal transformation. Because it doesn't come through external change. Not by might not by power, and not by my spirit. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's what we need. We need to be filled again, and again, and again, and again. I need a fresh touch from heaven. I need the Holy Spirit to show up and overwhelm me. I need to encounter him. That's what's going to build our church. That's what's going to build the church in La Mesa. That's what's going to change our city, our neighborhoods, our schools, our county. That's what's going to change our state. I mean, you can, we can all sit in here and we can talk about how dark it looks and how things aren't looking all that great. That's okay. Because the Holy Spirit changes everything. That's the game changer, is Holy Spirit. I need Him. I am desperate. I am desperate. For Holy Spirit, because without Holy Spirit in me and working through me, I'm tired, I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated, and I am wondering what on earth am I even doing? But it's by the power of the Spirit that we see transformation in ourselves, that we will see transformation in our church, in our families, and in our city. That's it. That's the secret. Not by might not by power, but by my spirit. I'm going to ask us all to stand.
And if you're here today and you, you're like, man, that's what I want. I want the Holy Spirit. I need him. Then I'm going to ask you to come. I'm going to ask you to come, come here and we're going to pray. If you're hungry for the more of God, you're not satisfied with your relationship with God and what you've seen and what you've experienced and what you know and how God is working and moving in and through you. And you're like, I want more. I know there's more. Then I'm going to ask you to come. If you feel like I need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you're like, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I speak in other tongues, but I need more. I need more because I feel like it just leaks and drains out of me. And I need to be filled to the overflowing because I feel like I'm like half empty. Then I'm asking you to come. Because we can't do this in our own strength. And we can't do this in our own power. It's only by the Spirit of God. And family, it's time. It's our time. It's this time. And I am absolutely to the core of my being. I am convinced that we are on the edge of an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Of revival like we have never seen before. And this place, California, is the birthplace of so many revivals and so many outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And I feel like we are right there. Man, I am desperate. I am not satisfied. I want you to lift your hands and I just want you to, to call out to Him. Just invite Him with your own words. Holy Spirit, come. I need you. I am desperate for you. I am hungry and I am thirsty for you. And His promise is that we will be filled. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you don't have a, a, a supernatural prayer language, what we call speaking in tongues, then today's your day. This is your time. This is your moment. And there's no big formula that, that, you know, to make this happen. This is, this is all you have to do. Father, I ask that you would baptize me in the Holy Spirit. That's it. Because Jesus teaches he's a good father. And if we ask for bread, he won't give us a stone. And if we ask for an egg, he won't give us a snake or a scorpion. He says, but how much more will he give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All we have to do is ask. Holy Spirit, come. You don't even need someone to come along and lay hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit. That's a way, but it's not the way. In the upper room, nobody was laying hands. They were waiting on the Lord. And then all of a sudden, everything changed. This is, the, this is the breaking of the delay that we decreed earlier. Everything looks the same, and then suddenly it wasn't. It was all different. I'm hungry for the Holy Spirit. I'm hungry for Him for intimacy with Him. I'm hungry for the power of God to work in me, to change and transform me, and to flow through me. Because I meet and encounter hurting people every single day that need the power of God in their lives because they're broken in their bodies, and they're broken in their relationships, and they're broken in their spirits, and they're broken in their minds and in their emotions, and they have no hope. This is the hope. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. However you want. We're not praying to you what this should look like, sound like, or feel like. It doesn't matter if there's a sound of a violent rushing wind or if there's flames that show up or if it's just quiet and the hush of God falls in this place. We just want you. 
We don't want hype. We don't want fluff. We want the real, authentic, supernatural power of God to come. You have not left us and abandoned us. Jesus, you went to the right hand of the Father and you sat down and you released your Holy Spirit to come. We're asking that you come in every way, in every shape. Fill every person, every vessel. Fill us all to overflowing so that we can be changed, so we can be transformed, so we can be set on fire, so that we can be your ministering servants sent out to the community to bring change and transformation to our loved ones, our friends, our family members, those that we work with. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come.